Welcome to Asian Film Express, a podcast where we talk about Asian and Asian American representation in films, or the lack thereof. I am Hannah Chan, and today we are discussing Minari, an American drama film released in 2020, directed by Lee Isaac Chung, and Burning, a Korean mystery drama film released in 2018, directed by Lee Chang Dong. We will discuss the backgrounds of the films, a little synopsis, my thoughts on each movies, the Asian representation, the controversy Minari brought in light with the Golden Globe Award, and the actor Steven Yen, who connects our two films today. Let's get into it! David, Let's start with Minari. A little background on the film, Minari premiered at the Sundance Film Festival on January 26, 2021, winning the U.S. Dramatic Grand Jury Prize and the U.S. Dramatic Audience Award. When writer and director Lee Isaac Chung was developing the film, he initially wanted to make an adaptation of My Antonia by Willa Cather, telling stories about an orphan boy from Virginia and an elder daughter of a bohemian immigrant family who are both brought to Nebraska as kids at the end of the 19th century to be pioneers. However, Cather did not wish her works to be adapted into films, so Chung was inspired to make a film about his own rural upbringing. Therefore, Minari is a semi-autobiographical film for Chung. This film stirred up conversation because it was only eligible for the best foreign language film category, but not the best motion picture due to the Golden Globe's eligibility rule. Daniel Day Kim put it best on Twitter that by doing so is the film equivalent of being told to go back to your country when that is actually America. This film is about a Korean family who moved to an Arkansas farm from California to achieve their own American dream. The family faced many challenges with the parents' marriage on the line, the gap between generations to connect, the son's heart condition, and risking everything in order for the family to thrive. They find the true meaning of home and the resilience of family. On a completely unrelated note, director Lee Isaac Chung and Steven Yen are related. Lee Isaac Chung is Steven Yen's wife's cousin. This information isn't important, but I thought it was interesting. Steven Yun knew that Lee Isaac Chung is a director and even went to the debut of his first film, but the thought of working with Lee Isaac Chung never came to him until he was given the script of Minari. Go back! David! Go back to your room! David. Stop! David, go to your room. David, come. There's a Korea smell. You've never even been to Korea. Grandma smells like Korea. David. Oh, yeah. What a good grandma smell? Before going into the Golden Globes and why the category Best Foreign Language Film is such a problem, I want to talk about my own thoughts on the film. This is such an honest depiction of people immigrating to the U.S. for a better life for their families. 
The opening scene of the Yi family arriving on their land and seeing the trailer for the first time reminds me of the stories I have heard from my own grandparents moving to a trailer park in Hollywood, Florida. My mom lived in a double trailer with her parents and her brother for around three years. My grandparents worked as waiters in a restaurant, so my mom didn't see them much during the day. Their lives pretty much brushed past each other. My mom said life was pretty much school, homework, TV, and chores on repeat. Her family went to the States with nothing and eventually built a life enough for my grandparents to retire and live comfortably. This is just one story that I know that I can draw so many similarities to the one in Minari out of millions of others that I haven't even heard. To hear about all the anti-Asian hate crimes that has been occurring in the past weeks and years, it is very disheartening because Minari showed such an American story that people have actually lived through. And in such a difficult time for everyone, people live in fear just because of how they look and the tone of their skin. On March 16th, a shooter targeted massage parlors and killed eight people. Six of them were women of Asian descent. The people who have been murdered are someone's parents, siblings, daughters, and family members. To think that these strong people left their home for a better life, but has to live in fear, breaks my heart. The script for Minari is written beautifully. It's filled with symbolism and heart, a perfect example of show, don't tell. At the beginning of the movie, before we were told that the son, David, has a heart condition, he was told multiple times by his parents to not run. All the subtle devices that push the movie forward, such as Mountain Dew versus the medicine that grandma brought from Korea, the definition and idea of a real grandma, the water stick that shows the difference between American and Korean culture and values. The barn that burned down at the end that finally prompted the couple to save each other and regenerated the family. Water and fire were very abundant in Minari. In an interview with Lee Isaac Chung, Bon Joon-ho pointed them out. The interview is mostly in Korean, so I'll be paraphrasing. Lee Isaac Chung said that this was inspired by the biblical idea of two destructions, first with the flood and then fire. He wanted to start Minari with a flood and end with a fire. There are many instances in the movie where water is the cause of major conflicts, from the tornado watch to the struggle of not getting enough water for both Jacob's crops and the Yi family. The fire at the end ultimately brought the family back together. Water was also used in a positive note from the creek water. It is where the family draw water when Jacob used all of the country water for his crops, and the creek is where grandma planted the Minari seeds. Lastly, the most important symbolism of it all is Minari itself. Minari is a versatile plant often used in Korean households for cooking and medicine. It is a plant that could thrive even in rough soil. Another main property to know about Minari is that it doesn't thrive until the second season. In many ways, Minari symbolizes the Yi family and the immigrant experience. People come from foreign land to plant themselves and thrive, but that usually doesn't happen right away. This element echoed throughout the movie, especially at the end when Jacob commented that grandmother picked a good spot, 
It shows that the family has chosen a good place to settle and to achieve their American dream again. A hopeful note that the Yi family will thrive just like the Minari did by the creek. Minari, Minari, wonderful, wonderful, Minari, wonderful, wonderful, Minari. The Golden Globe Awards are accolades bestowed by the 87 members of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, a nonprofit organization of journalists and photographers who report on the entertainment industry in the United States. The award ceremony has a history of 77 years. It is considered a major part of the film industry's award season usually held every January, but got pushed back to the end of February due to the COVID-19 pandemic this year. When the nominees were announced on February 3rd of 2021, it came to a shock that Minari was competing in the Best Foreign Language Film category, despite being an American film about a Korean-American family. This film was shot in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and tells an American story in many ways immigrating to the U.S., struggling with two different cultures, and trying to fulfill one's American dream. The story told in Minari is one that many first- and second-generation Americans can resonate with. Therefore, because of the Golden Globes eligibility rules, the film was forced out of the Best Motion Picture category, and many Asian celebrities took a personal. Stated in the rules under Foreign Language Motion Picture, Motion picture dramas, musicals, or comedies with 50% or more English dialogue are eligible for the best motion picture. My main questions are, why does this rule exist, and why does this award exist in the first place? The United States does not have an official language. English is only the most common language. When did common became the absolute judging criteria? I've always cringed at the name Best Foreign Language Film for the Academy Award, the Golden Globes, and many more film awards. It did not capture the essence of the category. The word foreign is archaic for the global community of filmmaking and consists negative connotations that suggest a sense of separation. But film is a commonality around the world. More than 350 languages are spoken in American homes today. More than 20% of the U.S. population speaks a language other than English at home. It is important for everyone to be acknowledged. So why can't a movie that has more than 50% Korean be eligible for Best Motion Picture? On top of that, there seems to be a double standard for Minari because in the past, both Inglorious Bastards and Babel were nominated for the Best Motion Picture category. Specifically for Inglorious Bastards.
Thomas Mark. Merci. Auf ein tausendjähriges deutsches Reich. Ein tausendjähriges Reich. It only consists of 30% English, with the rest being in German, Italian, and French. What happened there? This echoes my point in the first episode that Asian Americans could be born and raised in the States, but they will always be seen as Asian before American. It is time for the Hollywood Foreign Press Association to reevaluate the criteria and update accordingly. It is also worth noting that this category has already gone through a rebrand in 1986. Before then, the category was known as Best Foreign Film. Take the Academy Award for example. Prior to 2020, they also had the Best Foreign Language Film category. However, they have since changed it to Best International Feature. It was argued that the use of the term foreign was outdated within the global filmmaking community, and that the new name better represents this category and promotes a positive and inclusive view of filmmaking and the art of film as a universal experience. Animated and documentary films were also permitted to be nominated for this category. The Golden Globes and other film awards such as the BAFTA Award and Critics' Choice Movie Award that still has the foreign language category should consider renaming it and changing the criteria or even just eliminate the category in whole. Why shouldn't a movie from another country or consist of a language that is not English be considered for the highest award for the ceremonies? Moving on, I want to talk about the idea of American. What makes a movie American? The location where it is shot? The companies who invested? The actors? Or the story that the film tells? This might be too broad of a question, but all I know is that Minari is everything American. It tells the story of an immigrant family moving to the States, trying to make the best out of life and going after their own American dream. What more American could that be? Other than the Native Americans, every American's ancestry could lead back to somewhere else, meaning that their ancestors at one point was also an immigrant trying to make it in America. I realize that I keep on reiterating the American dream, so I think it's worth talking about it and why I think um, it's... Uh, what's the best way to put it? <sighs> BS. The American dream is the national ethos of the United States. A set of ideals of democracy, rights, liberty, opportunity, and equality in which prosperity, success, and an upward social mobility can be achieved through hard work in society with few barriers. The unrealistic portrayal of this idealism first dawned to me when I read the play Death of a Salesman by Arthur Miller. In the play, Willie Loman struggles with the changes of society and his idea of success, being a salesman and being well-liked. When I met a salesman in the Parker house, his name was Dave Singleman. He was 84 years old and he drummed merchandise in 31 states. An old Dave, he go up to his room, you understand, put on his uh, green velvet slippers, I'll never forget. Pick up the phone call the buys. Without ever leaving his room, at the age of 84, he made his living. And when I saw that, 
I realized that selling was the greatest career that a man could want, because what could be more satisfying than to be able to go at the age of 84 into 20 or 30 different cities and pick up a phone and be remembered and loved and helped by so many different people? I'm talking about your father. There were promises made across this desk. You mustn't tell me that you got people to see. I put 34 years into this firm, Howard, and now I can't pay my insurance. You can't eat the orange and throw the peel away. A man is not a piece of fruit. Throughout the entire play, it was never revealed what he is selling as a salesman. Well, I think he is trying to sell his idea of the American dream. It is evident that how he sees success and his inability to see his future is problematic and ultimately led to Willie's spiral into despair and illusion. From this play, the idea that everyone can become successful and rich is on one side hopeful, but also harmful. Sorry that I went a little off topic there, but I think as the United States ethos, this image of the land of opportunity and home of the brave masked all the problems that is deeply rooted in the country. An upward social mobility that can be achieved through hard work with few barriers, the U.S. has the highest income inequality and the poorest social mobility. This brings back to my point of the immigrant experience and how well Minari portrays this. We don't see the Yi family succeed at the end of the film. They were brought down time and time again for different reasons. David meeting his grandmother for the first time, the language barrier, the cultural difference, the struggle of heritage, David's heart conditions, the concerns of Monica, and Jacob's ambition. Here, the American dream is manifested through Jacob and his farm. However, Minari shows that success is the most fruitful with the support of the entire family. What we see is how a family worked together to achieve the idealism of an American dream. Moving on to our next film, Burning. on the short story Barn Burning by Haruki Murakami, featured in the collection The Elephant Vanishes. The short story consists of a 31-year-old married man and a 20-year-old woman beginning a casual and ambiguous relationship. The woman, who is an amateur mime, leaves Japan for Algeria. When she returns, she is with a Japanese boyfriend. One day, the woman and the boyfriend visit the man and the three drink and smoke marijuana. The woman falls asleep, and the two men continues to converse. The boyfriend reveals that every two months, he has the need to burn a barn down. The man asks why he does it, and the boyfriend replies that he feels morally obligated to do so, and he picks the barn by its condition. 
After the woman and boyfriend leave, the men became curious and spent the next few days scouting for possible barns nearby that the boyfriend might choose to burn. After a month of visiting the barns every morning for arson, the man finds nothing. He meets the boyfriend again later on and asks whether he burned a barn recently. The boyfriend says he did a month ago. He then proceeds to ask about the woman, asking if the man has seen the woman recently. Both the man and the boyfriend haven't seen the woman for a while. When the man checks her apartment, he realizes that her mailbox is filled with flyers and a new name has replaced the woman on the door. She has disappeared. The man continues his daily routine and sometimes thinks about Barnes burning. The film follows a similar plot of Jung Soo, an aspiring writer working as a delivery man, runs into his childhood friend Haimi. They begin an unclear relationship, and Haimi soon leaves for Kenya and asks Jung Soo to feed her cat while she's gone. When she returns, she introduces Jung Soo to Ben, a mysterious man she met during her trip. Jung Soo envies Ben, while Haimi is drawn to Ben and starts distancing herself from Jung Soo. From his interaction with Ben, Jung Soo becomes suspicious of him, especially when Haimi suddenly vanishes. After some research, I realized that William Faulkner, an American author who is mentioned several times in the film as Jung Soo's favorite writer, also wrote a short story called Barn Burning. The film incorporated some details from Faulkner's story with Murakami's story, like the protagonist's father is in court and eventually being convicted for a crime. However, the film is still largely based on Murakami's barn burning. Little 멋있지. 그레이트 헝거. The film was so confusing the first time I watched it. There are so many symbolisms in this movie, and each of them draws the audience into the mindset of Jung Soo more and more. The first I want to mention is Little Hunger versus Great Hunger that Haimi mentions at the beginning of the film. Little Hunger embodies the physical need, such as the need of food and water whereas Great Hunger embodies the search for the meaning of life. Through Jung Soo, Haimi, and Ben's character, we can interpret that Jung Soo represents Little Hunger, the emptiness of physical needs. As a college graduate, he can barely make a living for himself, and he has some familial issues on top of that. This crave for physical fulfillment can also be seen from his frequent masturbation in Haimi's apartment. Ben represents great hunger, the emptiness of the mind. He is well off compared to Jung Soo and Haimi, but he seems to use girls like Haimi to pass time and entertain his boredom.
The need to feel something is most noticeable when Ben reveals that he has the hobby of burning down a greenhouse every two months. Hamie is in the middle of little and great hunger, just like how she is drawn by both men. Through plastic surgery, traveling, and smoking marijuana, Hamie is trying to figure out the meaning of life despite her limited living arrangements. However, reality hits her time and time again, dragging her away from great hunger. Compared to Jungsu and Hamie's part-time jobs and barely making enough to feed themselves, Ben drives a Porsche, has his own apartment in the city, and attends social gatherings. He is the only one that actually has the time to seek out the meaning of life. For Jungsu and Hami, the idea of the future alone is bleak. Therefore, great hunger is just an idea they tackle to tell themselves that life has a purpose. In the beginning, the conversation between Jungsu and Hami about pantomime paved way for the rest of the movie. Hami says she's been learning pantomime for fun. Jungsu comments that she is talented, but she replies that it has nothing to do with talent. She demonstrates by eating a tangerine and says the key is to forget that there isn't one. This idea is very important and could be applied to many things later on. There are things you can and can't see embedded throughout the movie. The tangerine, boil the cat, the well that Hamey fell into, the greenhouses, Hamey, or the meaning of life. Directorly explicitly informs the audience about these hints and urges us to look for the answers in the following two hours. Don't think that there's a tangerine there. Just forget that there isn't one. Don't think Hamey is gone. Just forget that Hamey exists. Don't think that life has a meaning. Just forget that life doesn't have a meaning. That is the essence of life and how to continue to live. Ben waltzes into Jungsu and Hamie's life with his confidence and undeniable presence. Wherever he is, he is able to take control of the situation. Ben is still a very mysterious person after the film has ended. He seems to have a god complex, overlooking everything else from a higher ground. This can be seen from his cooking metaphor and how he describes himself as rain. The Great Gatsby is a great parallel to Ben. Their ending is also pretty similar, both dying with little influence to the world, perishing silently like how they appeared. However, is the last scene of the movie real? And did Ben kill Hamey like the film would want us to believe? Everything seems to point towards this direction. The accessories in his bathroom, how the straight cat he adopted responds to boil, and his greenhouse burning metaphor. With some kerosene and a lit match, it could be burned down in less than 10 minutes. For Ben who treats work as play, standing on top of the social pyramid, girls like Hamie are just like the greenhouses he burns down. The police don't care about whether the greenhouse burns down, just like no one cares when Hamie disappears. He is so privileged that he has never felt jealous and has never cried. He has to burn down greenhouses in order to feel something in his bones and to feel his heartbeat. 
However, for Jungsoo, the woman that Ben toys with, specifically Haemi, is his greenhouse. She appeared into his life like the speckle of light that reaches Haemi's room once a day. She is the greenhouse where he can nurture his own sense of self. When Jungsoo professes his love for Haemi to Ben, Ben just laughs it off. It provoked his sense of protection towards her. Something that is interchangeable for Ben is precisely what Jungsoo cherishes. So when Haemi disappears, Jungsoo's meaning of life seems to be so easily destroyed. In the film, Haemi can be seen as Jungsoo's motivation for life in two ways. He falls in love with her, so she became what motivates him to continue to live. Or to go back to little hunger and great hunger, Haemi herself is the great hunger that Jungsoo seeks. So he looked and looked and looked. When he realizes that his actions are meaningless to others, that was his last straw. Which brings us back to the reality of the ending again. I had no doubt that Ben is a serial killer until the last scene when he asked Jungsoo where Haemi is. A killer won't ask that. That's very out of the blue. But come to think of it, the movie follows the view of Jungsoo. Could everything we see just be under the assumption of Jungsoo? Lee Changdong also slides in the little detail when Jungsoo contact and met up with Haemi's colleague. The colleague is also wearing the same pink watch that Jungsoo gave Haemi. So, what does this details say that the pink watch in Ben's bathroom might not even be Haney's. Maybe Ben wasn't the killer. Also, maybe the last scene is just the story that Jungsoo finally started writing because the murder scene immediately follows Jungsoo typing in Haney's apartment. I don't know what I think anymore. I, I need to watch this film again. <laughs> It is also worth noting that both of the films in discussion here consist of barns burning. Even though for Minari, the barn that burned down prompts the E family to rise again, the greenhouse burning and burning is more metaphorical to Ben's action and brings a sadder and ambiguous tone to the film. This is Stephen Yun, perhaps best known for playing Glenn Ree on AMC's The Walking Dead. But more recently, Steven's gotten some international attention working with renowned Korean filmmakers on films like Okja, Burning, and Minari. Last thing for this episode, I want to talk about Steven Yeun, the actor cast in both Burning and Minari as leading roles. His experience is pretty interesting as a Korean-American being involved in American and Korean projects. He first rose to fame for his role in The Walking Dead, and earned critical acclaim for his role as Ben in Burning. His most notable Korean projects are Okja, working with director Bong Joon-ho, and Burning. 
Something I find pretty interesting about him is that for his role in Okja as Ben and Jacob and Minari, all three of these characters are all kind of westernized. Here's Steven Yeun going undercover on the internet for GQ, talking about the involvement of his heritage in his roles. My Korean did improve, and it was because I got to work in Korea. But I will say, uh, there was conscious choice of making my character in Okja speak bad Korean. And then with Minari, I worked really hard to try to make sure that I sounded like a Korean-American person who had spent some time away from his motherland. And so Korean variety shows really did nothing for my accent. In Burning, he plays a full Korean, worked hard on the language and his physicality, but didn't wash away his Americanness. And here is Steven Yen at the Film Society at Lincoln Center speaking about his role in Burning. I think that was kind of the uh, really... Uh, wonderful choice that director Lee made was being very cognizant of what I and who I am, uh, which is a very westernized uh, American person. And for me to come over there and play a fully Korean person, a native in that way, uh, required us to really tackle the language to be very specific and proficient. And, um, uh, you know, we would talk about inflection and intonation and the flatness of the speak, but also the precision of how he pronounces things. And so uh, we worked on those physicalities, but we never washed away my Americanness. Um, which isn't to imply that Ben is American, but it's kind of to imply more of a cosmopolitan way of being. Just He's just not held down by the same social systems that the country or the people that are native to Korea might normally be. Um, whether it's the wealth or the knowledge that he's accrued, that kind of lets him float above these things. Um, who knows? Uh, but those are definitely things that we worked on of just making sure that, um, you know, even his hair, isn't necessarily, you know, my hair, isn't necessarily a Korean style of hair. Um, so it's those things, the way that I move, um, probably the things that I've eaten uh, change the way that I look. Um, so we never really tried to hide those things. From the wealth and knowledge that Ben has, he seems to float above everyone else and consequentially have a certain emptiness that he has to live with. Something also worth noting is that Ben is the only Western name in Burning. Initially, I thought using an English name gives a certain superiority to the character, and I wanted to maybe tackle that point. But Steven Yun addressed this in a Q&A session that I think makes complete sense and adds another layer to the character Ben. Um, I think that's a common thing nowadays when you go to Korea. Um, there are actually a lot of younger kids that actually use Western names. Um, that is more of a call to the cosmopolitan nature of the world. Um, if you look at Seoul, you know, I know that we're separated by oceans and cultural boundaries and barriers, but, um, you know, the cool thing about traveling is like when you land at that place, once you can wipe away the glaze of, I think, like the otherness and just kind of sit down and be with people, you realize 
they're all the same. <laughs> we're all the same, you know? Um, they're all, we're all kind of, we all have the same humanness about us. And so with Ben, it wasn't necessarily anything that altered who he was, uh, specifically at his core, but maybe it was a more indicative of like, the fact that this person might be traveled, um, that he has touched the Western world, that he is knowledgeable about worldly global things. Um, and he chooses to use Ben as his name. And um, it's almost a freedom that he himself has with that. Even though his nationality plays a role in his casting, Steven Yeun expressed that it's nice in his Korean project that instead of being thought as an Asian serial killer, he is just a serial killer. Or is he? In the end, he just wants to be seen as a human being. And I think that's a nice note to think about for the film industry. Lastly, I just want to mention that he is the first Asian American to receive a nomination for the Academy Award for Best Actor. So we'll see in April, at the end of April, if he wins. I hope he does. That's all we have today. Thank you for listening. Hope you'll come back for future episodes for more Asian and Asian American discussions. If you want to become better allies for the Asian community, please consider helping monetarily, such as donating to Stop AAPI Hate or visit anti-Asian violence resources. I'll put the links in the description. We can change the world one film at a time.